Like I go there. Say that again. My what? <laughs> Your Tumblr is amazing. Yes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Steve Gaynor, and this is Tone Control, Conversations with Video Game Developers. Uh, today I'm in the hotel room of Jake Solomon. <laughs> uh, For an intimate chat. Indeed, because uh, it is still, uh, while I'm recording these things, GDC. Uh, so we're all gathered here in San Francisco for the Game Developers Conference. Um, Jake Solomon of Firaxis, uh, lead designer. Yeah, lead uh, designer. Director? I don't know. What, is that? Uh, yeah, creative director, lead designer. Well, we interchange right. terms at Firaxis. So. Of XCOM Enemy Unknown. Yes. Uh, so thanks for uh, having me over to talk about, uh, about your stuff. Oh, I'm happy to. <laughs> you know, designers, we're always thrilled to talk about our stuff. So. <laughs> and talk about ourselves. That's right. Um, speaking of which... My mom's side of the family is from the south. I walked in. I know that you don't sound like someone that I associate with, like, the Maryland area. Where are you from? Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm. and um, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. You were? Indeed, and I grew up uh, outside of St. Louis, Missouri. No kidding. Yeah. Oh. I moved, to, moved from Kansas City to... Uh, Chesterfield, Missouri, uh, when I was like three or something. Yeah, so yeah, yeah I, I grew up in Missouri when I was a kid. Oh, no kidding. How long yeah. did you live there? Uh, till uh, 1991, something okay, like that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, um, I grew up in Kansas City and, uh, then I went to college in Oklahoma. So I was, my, you know, my young life, I was all Midwest, Mid Southern. Yeah. And then, then I moved to, uh, Baltimore, like right after graduating. So, yeah. So did you like? Yeah, I'm interested to hear you know how you how you first got in. Did you did you move there to work with Sid Meier? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, what was it? Like, what? So what did you go to school for? I I went to school for computer science, and yeah. this was in you know I went to I graduated high school in '95, so I went to OU and um, and I got a degree in computer science. At first, I first I um. I got. I was like pre-med because my parents are both doctors, right? Ah, okay. And so I just assumed that that's what, you know, ah, sure. that'll make me happy. Um, <laughs> and uh, I worked with my dad for a summer, and I realized that it wasn't a it wasn't a job for me. And so then okay. I um, changed over to it. You know, like ninety five, ninety six, my freshman year was, and this I'm obviously biased, right? But for me, like a golden age of gaming, right? So you're talking Doom. And Duke 3D and Warcraft 2 mm. and just awesome, awesome video games. Yeah. And it wasn't something I had thought about. Even though I was playing games, it wasn't something I thought about. Yeah. But then because of that, because of those games, like I ended up getting a computer science degree. And really, you know, I'd started with uh, playing XCOM UFO Defense, you know, like my senior in high school. And so I yeah. was really into games. And then when I switched from pre-med, I thought, you know, I could actually... I could actually like you know program games and yeah because of that I switched to computer science and that's what sort of led me down that track. But I didn't I didn't actually um, when I graduated college I had all these interviews and I only applied to one place that made games which was Firaxis yeah because I love strategy games. But I actually had a job as a business consultant. I wasn't actually going to do programming. I was huh. Anderson Consulting. I'd already accepted a job as a business consultant, you know, like just standard suit and tie, travel <laughs> the country, you know, and, um, 
And uh, I had actually gotten a signing bonus. We were going to move to Chicago. Yeah. And long after that happened, because all those interviews happened in the fall, and then long after that happened, I finally hear back from Fraxis, and they're like, hey, you know, <laughs> would you like to come out here and interview? And I was like, well, yeah, uh, sure. And so I, <laughs> I'd never been to Maryland, never been to Baltimore. I went out there, and I remember this was right after, um, this is ancient games history at this point, I guess, but... So Brian Reynolds, a bunch of people split off from Firaxis to create a company called Big Huge Games. Yeah. Which then became 38 Studios, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and who's no, they're, they're no more. But right. um, uh, this was right after Brian Reynolds split off and he took a bunch of people with him. And he was the, he was like the lead designer on like Alpha Centauri? Alpha Centauri, Civ 2, okay. Alpha Centauri. At yeah. Firaxis it was, he did Alpha Centauri. Great. Great designer, great yeah. strategy designer. Um, but he left to form his own company, and he took a lot of people with him from Fraxis, mm-hmm. and they were kind of scrambling. And so I guess that's why they would reach out to, like, a college student, you know? Sure, yeah. And they were like, hey, you want to make games? And I was like, oh, definitely. And, again, this is a different time. There wasn't any sort of roadmap to get into the games industry at that point. Yeah. You know, it was, it was just sort of, you know... I. It was it was a totally random thing that they contacted me in, in March. They contacted me. I'd had a job locked up for six months, but I went out there to visit, and I was just I'd never I you know I used to read like old plan files, but I didn't know much about game development, right? Yeah. And you had applied as a programmer. Yeah, yeah okay. I'd, apply, I'd apply as a programmer, yeah. and I was a programmer for a long time. Yeah. And when I went out there, I saw. I mean, they were people in their offices and they're talking about, oh, you know, the Warriors should do more damages. We, you know, we were working on Civ three at the time. Yeah. They were, and they were having these absurd conversations where I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> I was like, you can, like, these people can really get paid for this. You know, <laughs> like, I was, it was, it blew my mind. And I met with Sid and he was working on a game that never got made at Dinosaurs. He was making a game called Dinosaurs, which yeah. was like this turn-based slash real-time dinosaur strategy game. Yeah. It never ended up getting made. But, you know, I saw that and I met with him and he was like a hero of mine growing up. I played all his games. Yeah. And, I mean, after that, it was well, nuts. He was one of the few guys at that time who they actually, like, put his name on the box and, like, you knew this game was made by Sid Meier. Yeah. You know, because so many games that you played, you know, in the yeah, 80s you never 90s, know, right? it's like, oh, this came from somewhere. <laughs> right, right. Will Wright, maybe, and Sid, yeah. Yeah, and, and at that time, like, okay, John Romero. Right, or, you John know, Romero, whatever, right. Yeah. right. yeah, and so he was one of those people, and I I knew him, and I played his games, and mm-hmm. when I met him, I was just, and he's, oh my goodness, he's the nicest I mean, he is the nicest human. Have you ever met Sid? I have been in the same room as him. He visited 2K Marin when I worked oh, okay. there. Um, I, I don't even remember if I said hi, but if, I, you know, I've seen him at GDC. He seems like there's no way he could not literally be the nicest human being. He is, exists. <laughs> he is the nicest human being I've ever met. I don't say that to, for like a fact. He really is a, he's a wonderful, wonderful person. Never cynical, never would ever talk politics or office but yeah he's just the most wonderful person he's yeah. he's a good person so yeah i met him and i remember i went home from the interview and i called uh jen my fiance now my wife and i just said you know <laughs> like i don't know what to do with the signing bonus but uh i think we really 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 should move to maryland so yeah. and that was that was it and i've been there ever since i was 14 years ago now. Yeah. yeah. Or more than that, yeah. Yeah. So. And that's a that's a, that's a a huge run. That's a good run. You yeah. Know, one place, for sure. Yeah, it's it's one of those studios that has, um, 
you know, my on on XCOM, my my art director Greg Furch, he he just celebrated his seventeenth year yeah. at Praxis. My lead program Casey, who's those guys are here at GC with me. Casey is twelfth year there, so just a lot of long time, a lot of long time people at Fraxis. Well, it seems like one of those places where, if you're into the kinds of games Fraxis yeah. makes, they make the best ones that anybody makes, and like as long as it's not like some insane studio culture, which seems like it was run by Sid Meier, right? Probably not, right? That's just a good place to stay. Yeah, you know? I mean that actually is a very that is actually very true. Is if you like making strategy games, if you like making the kind of games we make. It's really hard to, it's a great place. We've, we've been successful, not, you know, you know, it's, it's not Rockstar, but we've been, we've been around for, the company's been around for 20 years, yeah. you know? So it's, it's super stable every year. We, we have a super loyal audience that are good and they're interested in the games we do. And yeah. if you like making strategy games, it is hard to ever see yourself, you know, doing something else. So. Yeah. How are you going to do better, really? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you started there. As a as a programmer in what what year did you say? That was in two thousand. Okay, two thousand. Um, it seems like it seems like uh, and this makes sense with the kinds of games that they make, but it seems like programmers and programmer designers are like highly valued. There. Yes. I mean, Sid is a programmer designer. Yep. It comes from from there. And I was just at um, Soren Johnson's talk right. at GDC, Soren. and you know he he did a bunch of coding on Civ and right. was, you know. Um, so, what was the what was the first stuff that you worked on there? I was on Soren and I. Soren and I started um, the same day, actually. Oh no shit! Yeah, yeah. And huh. another guy named Mike Brykratz. And it, and this was because really, like when when Brian Reynolds left, like the company was really hurting for yeah. for people. And so Soren was basically out of college at that point. I was out of college. There was another program named Mike Brykratz who who started the same day. And, um, so we all started at the same time and there wasn't much DNA there at the company and Sid wasn't working on Civ. He was working on, um, something else. And so we were working on Civ and we really didn't know what we were doing. And this yeah. is like, like Civ three, you know, it's like, yeah, it, it went on to sell, you know, 3 million something copies. I mean, very successful game, but this again was kind of like the edge. It was like the end of the old days where yeah. it was like. They were like, sure, let's give us these college kids, you know. And so we all just sort of divided stuff up. I was a graphics guy when I started. And at that point, it was 3D graphics, but Civ 3 was 2D. They were like, hey, here, do 2D graphics. I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> too, too dumb not to know what I don't know. So uh, I started, and I started doing graphics and UI and, and other things. And then Soren wrote a lot of the AI. And uh, we just did things. It was funny because it sometimes being naive it's not a bad thing it really empowers you there were a lot yeah. of things that were in institutionalized and they said oh we can't do this we can't do that you can't animate more than one unit on screen at the same time and I was like is that true I'm like <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Age of Kings and they, they have a lot of units and so we just started saying like oh yeah you can do that artists would ask us can we do this and we're like oh yeah you can do that you can do that and then we just figured out afterwards so well, we we yeah. worked on Soren and I worked on Civ three together. It was our first project. Started the same day, and that was our first project together. And it was a great success by you know by any measure at that time. And it was funny because we really didn't know we really didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that part of the interesting thing about working on a, a franchise like that at that time is you know you guys coming in at that point, 
it feels like it would have been turning a new page in a lot of ways because it's like, okay, with such a long-running franchise, now the people who are making it are like the next generation. Like, you guys grew up playing those. You weren't guys that were making those prior games of the series. They were formative to you. And so, like, when you come on and you start being responsible for the series, it's like an outside interpretation of, right. of that, um, which has got to change the way that it's the way that it's made. You and know? It, it, it's actually, that's a good point, because it, it needs that, and we yeah. need that. It's not something, I don't think we've ever had, we have never had a designer do multiple sip games. They always, always just move off. Because, I think because you, you come onto it, and you want to give it your best shot, and you sort of, you, you grew up playing it, or you, you came to Fraxis because you played it. Yeah. And so you come in like, you know, if I was ever designing right. a sim, I would do this. This is what I don't like. This is what I do like. And so everybody kind of does it, and they give it this one big shot. And you, and you toss out assumptions that people that have worked on it already have. Right. right. Like you were saying, right. oh, we can't do that. This is just how it works. Right. You don't know what those what those rules are that it right. up. Right. I, I experienced that. You know, I didn't design the expansion pack for XCOM. And I got him in Nanda, great designer. He did. And he did some things, and I was like, oh, I don't know that I would do that. <laughs> turned out to be, of course, great experience and turned out to be great. And not yeah. that I would ever say that. I, I knew enough about myself to know, like, uh, what I should do is shut up. Because you, when you are the creator of something, you just it's so much a part of who you are. And, and, and you've made the decisions based on who you are as a gamer and as a designer. And... And I knew enough to say, like, well, I wouldn't do it that way, which is probably not a bad thing. It's probably a good thing to have somebody do something different than what I would do. Yeah, know? for so, sure. And, yeah, and Civ really benefits from that, is having somebody come on and say, like, all right, this is it. This is what I would do. And we get... It's sort of like, um, you know, how you have to have, like, species. They have to have, you know, they have to bring in, you know, like bees, right? Bees... You know, the queen won't mate with a male in her own... Oh, my God, I'm sorry. I sound like an asshole. But, um, <laughs> but, but you know, queen bees won't mate with males in their own hive. They, yeah. they only mate with males from other hive because they need that sort of diversity in genetics. And yeah. so I think we actually benefit by that is bringing on people and getting that fresh perspective because otherwise you are going to stagnate. You know, you'll have this problem of, well, this was successful before. And it's not that you're afraid. It's more that... We, I, like concept artists, we see the same thing. If we give them something that we did on a previous game, it's really hard for them if we're like, hey, we kind of want to do this character again for the sequel, but you need to make it different. Yeah. It's really hard for them because they're like, well, I gave you my best stuff. Like, what is this? Now? What, what do I do now? Yeah, and yeah. so they kind of give you version you know, 1.5 instead of saying, like, let's bring in somebody else and they're going to throw new ideas at it. Yeah, for sure. So you you started out you were you're just a straight up like gameplay programmer on, yeah. on Civ three uh, and then like what was I mean what was that what was that like what do you remember from that time there working on that that series that you know you were you were so familiar with as a gamer I remember I mean I, I remember a lot of the stuff we just threw out threw out all this stuff because we didn't you know we sort of made our own rules and. Uh, and I remember us all being so young working on it, and but it never once not not like it would do to me now, being an old man, never once bothered me. Right? I was just I just assumed that you know if there's certain 
certainty of youth, and that sounds like, I do sound like an old man saying that. <laughs> and I don't mean that in any sort of negative sense, but there's yeah. a certainty that comes from not having failed, you yeah. know, which is in some ways good, in some ways there's pros and cons to it. Yeah. You know, if you haven't failed before in your life, and as you get older, you failed plenty of times. And it's a very important part of growing up and becoming better at the craft. But when you're younger, you haven't failed. And so you're just like, well, this idea is going to be great, you know? And it was what we needed. And so we just said, like, well, let's just do it. And we had the track record. It's not like we were making a new game. That would have been a disaster. We were remaking a a game that had multiple iterations. We knew what it needed to be. Sid was in-house to steer us the right direction. And so I just remember being so, like, energized... I would stay up late. I would stay late and play like Deus Ex. Yeah. And that was that same time, 2000. I just remember being so like energized about games and it, it was such a small company. We we're still like 20, 25 people. We were making this game, but I remember being very, um, we were all worried because Age of Kings, Age of Empires 2 had come out. This is, mm-hmm. that's this real time strategy game, which I consider to be one of the greatest games. And yeah, it was beautiful. But we kept comparing ourselves to that game and thinking like, oh, are people going to like, you know, Civ? Because look at what... RTSs were very big in 2000. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they're not... They've there's taken a, on a, a new form. proliferation of them. Like, right. now there's just... There's MOBAs, right? Yeah. yeah. They've sort of evolved into a new form. But also, but, I feel like, focused, you know? Sort of like, okay, there's StarCraft 2 and there's Dota. You know, it's like there's a couple of big spikes. But in, in 2000, tons of... Studios were making. They were everywhere. And and we were a little bit worried about that. We thought, oh, this is so antiquated what we're doing. Even though we like it, and this is a game we want to play. I remember thinking, again, I didn't know the industry at that point. So I remember all of us sort of sitting around being like, oh, man, I don't know. This doesn't look as good as Age of Kings. And and then, of course, it comes out. It's this massive, you know, it it was as successful as the other Civ titles. And it continues to be successful. And that's what I remember it's not having any gauge of like, oh, we're working on this thing that millions of people are going to enjoy. I just had the sense of like, oh, it's just another, it's like a project from college because it's <laughs> me and these young people working on this thing and then someday it went out and, and it was it was awesome. Those were, I look on them now, of course, with fondness, but I, it really was a neat time when, you know, again, it's just really small team working on this this game and it was it was awesome. I mean, it was a really really awesome time. It was it was a really fun time. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's true. Like when you ship when you ship a big title, when you ship any title, really, you 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 can abstractly consider like millions of people are going to play this thing right. that I'm making or you you actually ship it and you're like millions of people have played that this right. thing. And you know, as like a level designer or something, it's like I placed this Pick up and like a million people, you know, Bioshock 2, whatever, a million right. and a half people have picked that thing up right. as part of the tutorial. And that's right. so, like, you can't really process it. No. And especially when it is one of your early projects. And, you know, you're like, okay, we're working in this office, we're making this thing, I'm just trying to make it cool. And then <laughs> that's it's like, right. Wait, but like, no, like, <laughs> right. lots of people are going to actually interact with this thing. And it, it's impossible to, to, to really internalize it. It is. I, I think it's, and I don't know if, I wonder if that's a, I wonder. I wonder what the benefits. I think I have become much more. I'm more much more conscious of that now as I'm older and I've really released a bunch of projects. And I worry. I worry a lot. My position is totally different now, but I worry a lot about our audience and player value and um, not in any sort of monetary sense. In the sense of like we're making something that has 
a lot of meaning to a lot of people. Like that's not that is not a small thing. I, I don't think it's right to just sort of sit there and say like, oh, well, we're a team and we have ownership over the project because you don't. It's the game is actually owned by you're basically in a service industry when you're making you know games that people care about yeah. and it's like well we we're actually trying to provide value to people and so that's not something that you can take for granted you really need to think about everything you do and you're like are we just doing this for ourselves or is this really providing value for people and i've become much more like that as i've gotten older but i think yeah when i was younger it was really just like oh we're just this is our thing that we own and we're making it and we hope people like it and yeah. that's not the way that i that i feel now well especially when you're making stuff like for Axis for makes where it, you are making these things that are that are highly dynamic and systemic, mm-hmm. and people are going to play them. Not like you know, gone home, you play it, but you are now done playing it. Right. <laughs> yeah, maybe you go back and play it again, right. and that's cool. But like you know, with a Civ or an XCOM, there people are going to play through campaigns and campaigns, and it's like a part of their life for months, and that does feel more like a like a service. You know, like, right. like we're making this thing that has to be robust and is really going to be like you know deeply interrogated by people over. Thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. Right. Um, and that's got to be an interesting place to, to be, to have to think about making all of that replayability super solid. It doesn't break down, you know. It is. I mean, it's... it's And something I don't know that we did that... We didn't as do as, as great of a job on XCOM. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's something that we've, we've thought about is that XCOM's been great. It's been, and, you know, I'm not complaining. XCOM's been wonderful and, and the great success... But um, I'm not saying, geez, do I sound like an asshole? I'm not saying XCOM's a great success. I'm just <laughs> let's, saying... Let's let's just assume you're right. going to sound like an asshole. Right, let's just assume. peace with it. Right. You know what? <laughs> don't worry I'm going to accept it. it. I'm going to accept it. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it, it is... We don't think in terms of playthroughs. It's very... For us, we don't think in terms of, uh, you know, oh, how many, how many times is a player going to go on... On this type of mission, or we really think in terms of uh, we we want the games to be hobbies for people. You yeah, know, we want right. them to be. We know that if somebody you know if somebody plays Civ, they're going to play Civ a bunch. You know, many many people put in hundreds of hours in Civ and in XCOM too. Yeah, and then the the our hope is that then when a new game comes out, they'll play the new game. That's fine. And then when there's nothing to play, they'll be like, eh, I'm going to fire up Civ, or I'm going to fire up XCOM. Like, that's what we, that's what our uh, players expect from us. Those are the people that we value the most in terms of, like, that's what they want, and that's that's the service we give them, is we sort of fill this void of, like, I, you know, there's nothing going on right now, I'm going to jump back into this uh, this game, and it's... For Axis games are the games, they're, they're what you're doing when you're not playing something else. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right, because... You know, everybody plays at a launch, but then, yeah, we, you think of it almost as like a um, hobby. I, I have a friend, at, um, Riot, and he was the one who summed it up best because League of Legends certainly like that. Yeah. He was like, our competitor is not, you know, uh, some sort of, uh, let's say, a linear uh, shooter. He's like, that, that we don't consider that to be a competitor. He's like, we consider basketball to be a competitor. <laughs> He's like, we consider people's hobbies to be our competitors. Like... We expect people to, like, we see number dips when, when games come out. And he's like, but then we expect people to come back to us just like they would come back to golf. Like, well, you're not going to stop playing golf if you like golf. You're not going to stop playing basketball if you like basketball. Oh, yeah. And he was like, you know, we don't expect people to stop playing League of Legends if you like League of Legends. And I thought that was a very interesting way to put it. And it yeah. is kind of the way we, we think about our players is, yeah, we really have to think about 
again, not in a, in a monetary sense. You just are players what they want is like they want something that gives them hundreds of hours of enjoyment so we have they really have to pass that test of, of like are they going to like to do this over and over and over again right so. yeah um so so yeah uh shipping sift 3 was your first experience with like yes. getting that out the door and seeing the player response to yeah. it and everything um what what was the what what, what happened for you did you work on sift 4 as well I didn't work on that so much. I worked okay. on um, after Civ Three. I worked on Sim Golf. Oh, uh, nice! Yeah, Sim Golf. Cool. <laughs> I did the because um, again, I was a graphics guy when I started. Oh, so okay, yeah. I did the train in Sim Golf, which was actually open. And how did you get into graphics programming? Because like, the, the, I, something that you find about programmers is that most often, you know, they they get focused into a particular specialization. Yeah. This is, a, I mean, this is just a geeky question, but like, how did how did graphics programming become the thing that was like the what you what you doubled down on? But it was because at that time when I was in college, from you know ninety five ninety six to to two thousand, like graphics was considered to be the way the most one of the most important things in games. So as a programmer, I think you naturally gravitate towards like, oh, that's the sexy thing to do. Well, and it was the the technology was changing so much at that time, like 3D right. graphics, accelerator cards right. and everything. Yeah. And this, I mean, that was the era of John Carmack in terms of you were as a programmer you identified with John Carmack. So you said like, "Oh, well, I want to make games, so I, I should be a graphics programmer, you know. And I don't, because it wasn't very formal, there wasn't a very good understanding of what, outside of the industry, what people did in the industry. So right. I didn't know there were gameplay programmers or designer programmers. Like, that stuff never crossed my mind. The only visible ones, the ones who were making the most noise or being talked about the most were graphics programs. So I thought, oh, I'll just do graphics. And yeah. I wasn't a very good graphics programmer. I mean, I, I was, <laughs> you know, I, I was the sort of thing where... I did it until I met Casey, who is, you know, the lead programmer, my lead programmer now. Mm. I did it until I met Casey, and I met him, and I'm like, oh, that's a graphics programmer. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm a gameplay programmer now. And he always laughs because he's like, yeah, I did it until I met, you know, this other guy. And he was like, and then I was like, oh, that's a graphics programmer. And so <laughs> he was like, I'm, I'm just going to go into, like, uh, generalist programming now. So, so yeah, I mean, it was the sort of thing where that's what you did, I think, outside the industry, you just associated that with games programming. So that's what I did. And so, you know, on Sim Golf, I, um, I convinced Sid that Sid and I are the only two programmers on Sim Golf. And so th- those were the days when you're yeah. making a game with two people and it was just Sid and I. And I convinced them, I'm like, oh, we should make the train 3D. And so I wrote it in an OpenGL. And it, you know, it's just very, very, very simple, um, terrain system. And, um, yeah, that was, so I went to Sim Golf and then I, after that, I went to Pirates. I was going to say, Pirates. cause Pirates came out, or, yeah, cause I remember I played that, yep. uh, yeah, uh, that was like 2003, 2004. Yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was 2003, 2004, yeah. 2004 I think. And yeah. so it was Sim, I did Sim 3, then I went to Sim Golf and then I went to Pirates and all that time, Soren was working on Civ 4. So right. I didn't work with Soren on Civ 4. And then Soren and I worked on um, uh, a project that never, it was never made. It was mm-hmm. one of those things that was never made. But um, I'll tell you, yeah, it was one of the greatest games I've ever played. But um, <laughs> but but it was one of those things where it just never got made. And so that was one maybe, that... Maybe it'll come back someday. Maybe it will. Maybe <laughs> You're still will. around. You That's got right. a shot in front of you. That's right. So um, And then um, Soren was doing Civ 4. 
And then I did Pirates. Yeah. Well, I did the Pirates. I don't remember what I did after that. <laughs> I don't even remember. Just too much damn for access. I know. I've been there for so long. I'm trying to think. But then, oh, Civ Rev. After, was that after Pirates? It was. Okay. Civ Rev was like 2008. Yeah. So after, I did I did Pirates, then I did Pirates Xbox, and then I did Civ Rev. I see. Cool. Yep. So, so yeah. I was but, always with Sid, basically. I, I, right. I always worked for... Sid, except for Civ 3, very quickly after that, I worked for Sid my entire career until XCOM. Where, where is, like, what you mean is the project he was the lead, the direct, directly the lead yeah. on you were working I worked for him. Yeah. yeah, like, what was that, what was that like, especially because it sounds like Sim Golf was the first one yeah. of those. How did you, how did you end up in that position? How did you end up being the other programmer on Sim, Sim Golf? That is a, you know, I, I, I think it's because. Also, how is it called Sim Golf? Isn't <laughs> it's a very good question? Well, it was supposed. You know what I remember about Sim Golf. So Sim Golf. So the the dinosaurs game I talked about. Yeah. So that thing fell through. Like, and that was just that wasn't like a publisher thing. EA was publishing. Like we were mm. split between uh, Atari was publishing one of our games, which was the Civ stuff, and EA was publishing whatever Sid did. Oh, uh, okay, okay. And so uh, EA, I think, was publishing the dinosaurs thing. <clears throat> I forgot that there was a pre two K era. Oh, yeah. Praxis is owned by Take Two now. We are, but that was two thousand five. Before then, we okay. were independent. So, okay. so EA was publishing the Sid stuff, and Sid was working on dinos, and it just. It was just never, it wasn't working. It just wasn't fun. And sure. so he was like, I can't do this. This isn't fun. And he'd been playing a lot of golf. And so this is the way Sid works is he just, he, he left. Nobody really knew this was happening. And he, he was just like, oh, so we didn't, we didn't see him and he didn't show any dino stuff. And then like two <laughs> weeks later, he was like, oh, everybody come into the, you know, this little room we had and it was just this big old like TV. And uh, he hooked, uh, hooked the computer up to it, and he was like, "So this is the new game." And we we're like, "The what?" And he was like, "It's the new game," and it was like a fully functioning, not even prototype. It was like a fully functioning game of sim golf. <laughs> and like at that point, we weren't golfers. Sid was a golfer, but yeah. we weren't golfers. But it was like it was a, it was just this, he just has this magic. And and so in two weeks, he made this game, and we were like. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. We were like, we see how that's going to be a game. And so he was like, <laughs> and so I remember Ben Gordon came out, who was this um, EA exec at the yeah, time. Right. And he came out and he's, he was good friends with Sid. And he came out and was like, well, uh, he's, you know, he, he went in and he played and he was like, well, I figure we can sell a couple million of these. <laughs> and I, I remember he said that. And um, then he was like, and so because EA was publishing it, they were like, let's yeah. call it Sim Golf. Okay. Because we own Sims. And so we were like, okay, sure. I think there, I think that even the Maxis logo shows at the beginning or something. <laughs> we had nothing to do with Maxis, but right. they called it Sim Golf. And that, yeah. And that, okay. that and okay. because, I and guess the, because yeah, of publishing thing. And it makes right. sense because at that time it's like, okay, that'll tack on another million or two. That's right. 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 And so then they, um, they, uh, and because I was a graphics programmer, I, I guess that's how I got onto it. I didn't know Sid very well at that point, but from that point on, Sid and I worked really well together. We yeah. just worked with it. Like Sid is, um, personality wise, he's a lot like, uh, me in the sense that, in the office, he's fairly, he's not an introvert, but he's, and standoffish isn't the right word, but he likes to sit in his office and work, right? Yeah, sure. 
Um, and it's funny, I've turned into my father, my work father. Like that is, I basically have become Sid where it's not that we don't enjoy talking to other people, but we're just, we naturally gravitate towards like just sitting in an office and working. You know, we're not good. Um, I, Sid is, but I'm, I'm not great at like mentoring and it's funny that I do, I am the, the creative director of a team because it's not, I'm not particularly great at like, um, day-to-day stuff and you know my producer's awesome at that stuff and i'm not great at that stuff and sid was like that too but i i loved sid so much that i would just pester the shit out of him (laughs) and i would and i would play my one gift as he saw was that i would play no matter what state the game was in i would play it i would give him feedback constantly yeah i would just play it and i would and i he always needed that that was like um Bruce Shelley used to do that for him in the olden days, mm-hmm. and I just sort of started doing that for him. I would just play, and then I'd go talk to him and pester him and be like, eh, I don't think this is good, and I love this. And, I, and he thrives off that kind of stuff, as all designers, I think, do. And so, yeah. Well, and, it's really important having that, that second set of eyes on stuff. Right. Because you build it, and it's working the way that you meant for it to right. work, and you think maybe it's fun, but... Yeah, you don't see the other options right. or, you know, whatever, right? Like right. having having somebody uh, uh you know, being being the outside voice of yep. how, how you're how you're getting stuff done I think is really super valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And so we developed that relationship and I would also be an intermediary between him and other programmers because Sid is very focused on like me now, he's very focused on player experience. You're very player driven. Yeah. Like right. it doesn't matter. Like we're not trying to make a piece of software. We're not trying to make engineering software to launch a rocket nobody's gonna die if we don't code it right right and so he's like we need to do whatever we need to do to make the game play as quickly as possible play the best way for the player and don't waste any other time doing anything else yeah and to other engineers that can be very irritating you know it can be very aggravating like oh my goodness why did you write your code like that da, 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 da. but Sid was like you know you all I care about is what the player gets out of this, you know? And so I would sit between, I was sort of like between, I was the intermediate and I would translate from the engineers. They would say, we really need to do things like this. And I would say, well, Sid, you know, there's a reason why if we can do things like this. <laughs> but then I would also, you know, they'd say, oh, you know, we can't, we can't draw that many things. And then, and then I would say on Sid's behalf, I would say like, we, we have to, you must figure out a way. It's very, very important that it happens. And so, that was the relationship, and he he mentored me for my entire career. I basically have modeled myself poorly, but I've modeled myself on him, and he he like uh, he's yeah he's 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 been my mentor my entire career because I basically stayed in that role until I went on to um, uh, XCOM. Yeah. So so would you say that you know working on sim golf and pirates and and uh, Civrev, it was all kind of like gradually building more of an understanding of the process and, and taking on more responsibility and stuff that, that, or like, you know, what, what, what led to your taking like a, a leadership role on, on, on the project that ended yeah. up being XCOM? Yeah. I, I mean, it was interesting. I, I, Sid and I had, I think because I had, he could tell that I was player focused. I wasn't, mm. You know, I was a programmer, but that, in his eyes, that's, you know, anybody can be a designer. So, um, I was very... That's po- true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you play a bunch of games, you think about them a lot, and then yeah. you figure out how to make them. All right. right. Yeah. And so... <laughs> you did it. I, I, you know, we didn't have a formal idea of a designer at, at Firaxis, and, and um, 
And so the the idea was, I guess, because he and I had interacted, he could tell that I was player driven, which to him is very important. That you think about the player, you don't think about I'm going to make a cool game or I'm going to add this feature. And that's all a bunch of bullshit, right? Like you need to think of the the player is going to have this experience. Like you have to be driven by what's the player going to experience. And And I think that's I think that's a really easy hole to fall into. Is like I found when you're when you're looking at like why am I doing this thing? Why am I putting this feature in? Or why am I putting this? And you're like. I want to make a game where you do this. Right. It's like, okay, you want to be making <laughs> right. that thing because you think it would be cool. Do you want the player to be playing that? Right. Like, is it is it valuable because you're going to have a fun time making it and you're going right. to be happy to see it on screen? Or is somebody actually going to play it and be like, holy shit, I'm, I, I, I'm so excited about this, i got to tell my friends or, or whatever. You it, know? Is, you're, it is an incredibly easy trap to fall into. And... Sid calls that his he's got a couple of design things he says and he always says who's having fun. So yeah. when he when he sees that he, he he will just say simply he'll say who's having fun and you're like eh, I'm having fun and he's like he's like okay he's like because that's what it sounds like to me if you're explaining this complicated thing to me and why it's so necessary and so occasionally that's all right you you got oh I mean you got that right? like in in going home I doubt very many players were as excited to have a fully interactive dishwasher that you can open the, the drawer and take out a dish and put it back and close it, uh, as I was to be able to say, I made the most interactive dishwasher in video history. But, you know, occasionally you have a day where you're like, I just want that to right. be that. And then you can get back to, okay, now I'm making it good for the player. If it's, <laughs> if it's not a deep hole, then yeah. it, it, I mean, that's part of what artistry is. You're going to lose your mind if you don't try to... You know, if you don't try to do something that's that is somewhat of, as an individual creative expression, but yeah. but as long as the hole isn't deep, you know, but you can get into very deep holes oh, where, yeah. where you're not thinking about the player, you're thinking about the game as this abstract concept of, and then that actually happened. That was that was a very good example of what happened. I mean, like very early on, I did a prototype of um, XCOM long before before we were owned by 2K. This was. We were thinking like, oh, what project should we do next? And then this was like two thousand three, two thousand four. I, you know, I said we we need to do XCOM. Like we should do XCOM. And yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna ask when that, when that uh, kernel, you know, was first planted. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I mean, I imagine like part of that was did. Take Two owned the XCOM license. Was that what was no, it? no, no. Atari owned the XCOM license. Oh, okay. So I was obsessed with XCOM ever since I. It's always been my my favorite game, and so I was obsessed with XCOM. And so whenever it came up, what game should we do? I said like, XCOM. And uh, <laughs> in two thousand three, two thousand four, there was we had an opening in the schedule, and and uh, we Atari owned the license okay. because they owned all the old old micro stuff, yeah. right? So and um, and that's they were our publisher on. Civ, and so I said, we have to do XCOM. And so Sid said, well, okay, sure. Here's the tiny team. Here's six months, go and make XCOM. And, um, or go prove you can make XCOM. Sure, yeah. And, uh, and I did it, and it was a, it was a, I mean, it was an un, unmitigated disaster. I mean, it was, it was a giant hole that I fell down, which right. was, I wasn't a designer. I wasn't, I was a programmer, and I, I said, okay, if we make XCOM, 
here are all these features. Well, we better work out the back end of this thing. And well, you know, better work out an inventory system. And well, and it's it's a very dark well where you fall into where you say like, well, we need all these things. And you know what I learned from that, and I should have paid attention because Sid says like, I, who gives a shit if you need it? And Sid would never say shit, but. <laughs> but the, the yeah, general like, seems like a clean living man. He oh, seems, he, would, he seems like he seems like a dad. He is. He he plays he plays organ at his church. Like he wow. is as clean living as you can <laughs> as you can be. He's a, he's yeah. I'm telling you, he is he is the nicest human being on earth. So and it's funny that and that's always what's funny to people when they see that he and I have this close relationship because I. I definitely don't play organ at a church, you know? <laughs> and so, but he and I, and I oh, I'm cursing, I'm blah, 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 blah. But he'll, he'll poke me a few times. Like, but he and I have that great relationship because he doesn't care. I mean, he's the most non-judgmental person ever. So, yeah. but it's funny because I love him, you know, for the person he is. And I, he sees through my faults, I suppose, to love me for who I am. But, um, but yeah, so I fell down this hole of like, you know, I was like, oh, an inventory system. We should work on that. And, you know, Sid would be like, what, what's the end result of the inventory system? If you've got six months, just put in a fucking, you know, like just whatever you can do to represent it. You could do that in a day. Like, yeah. you don't need a full inventory system. That's, yeah. You're wasting your time. Like, if it's proof of concept, you could just script in right. a team that has certain items in their inventory. Right. And, okay, it's you're right. with those guys. You're right. right. The first pass should be like, just give them what they need. Don't worry about the inventory. And so, but I fell on this dark hole and it yeah, took yeah, six yeah. months. I had, I had nothing. I mean, I had something, but it was... It was all. It was awful. It did not prove that you could make XCOM. No, it's not saying. <laughs> and wisely enough, they said, "Yeah, we're not going to do that next. We're going to do something else." And I remember uh, it was that was my first taste of uh, humility, where it was like, "Oh yeah, maybe I don't know everything that yeah. I think I know." And and then I went back to working for Sid, and and that I think was good for me because one, I realized like, yeah, I really don't know. I, I really need to learn a lot. And then when I went back to work for Sid on um, Sivrev and, and stuff like that, then I started to really pay attention mm. and started to see like, oh, that's how he's successful. He's yeah. like, yeah, don't don't waste your time. Focus on the player. Get that thing playing and stop wasting your time. And and I think that was the biggest thing for me. And, and so, yeah, I did, I did a prototype of it, and I wish nobody knows where it is. I, I think it's lost to history, but... And, you know, thank God. But, but yeah, I did that in, like, 2003, 2004. And then I went back to work for Sid. And then I, I started to work more on being more of a designer yeah. under Sid. And, and then after Siv Rev, which went so well for he and I together in terms of our, our working relationship, then after that he said, all right, he says, you want to do that again? And I said, <laughs> I this time, this time, I know what I'm doing. So. Yeah. That, and that, I mean, I, I can see how that's a good thing. You know, where it's like, okay, we'll give you a shot. Maybe you're, maybe, maybe you're, you're a genius. Maybe you'll just right. nail it the first time and you don't. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, that's, that's better for one's development than somebody saying, we don't think you're ready yet. You need to learn more. We'll give you a shot later. Right. Because you try it, you face plant, and then you're like, I think I'm not ready yet. <laughs> I right. need to learn more. <laughs> you're right because if they say you're not ready, you don't believe them, yeah. even if it's true. Yeah. And because and, you know, and you're, ne- you're also not going to know. And it, it's actually made me a. Um, and the development of XCOM was very difficult, and because I failed many more times as well, and uh, it did a lot of really positive things for me. To where I'm a much much happier person. I'm a much 
happier, um, not more confident. I'm actually, you know, in, in the right place of, um, I, I don't, I, my, I'm not precious about my designs anymore, but I'm a much happier person because of being able to fail and being able to take, now I start to see things with a little perspective and I, I start to look at other people and I start to be really impressed by them yeah. and happy for them. And I, I look at Sid with a whole new light and I look at other designers with a whole new light, people who have had success because I have failed, it's been good for me to sort of say like, oh, I, I remember there was a time on XCOM where I was, it was really going poorly. Yeah. And that's very, it's very stressful when it's not going well, not for myself, but you know, we were a big team and I had been given this opportunity and we were a big company and there was a lot of, there's a lot of stuff riding on big projects like that. And I really, I mean, it was, he was eating me alive to, to not be doing a good job, not for myself, but just, I was like, oh, God, this is going to fail and the company is going to fail and <laughs> Sid is, was a, he's going to regret ever, you know, giving me two chances to do this. And, and it started me, I remember saying to myself, like, man, all I want is what I have right now. Like, it's all, like, I realized, like, what my, my dream in life was to have what I have right now. I was like, I just don't want what I have already to, like, go away. Yeah. And it was a wonderful, like, you know, it's great to make money. It's great to have applause, but honestly, perspective does more to make you happy than anything else. And failure is the only thing that's going to give you perspective, yeah. you know? And so I got this giant jolt of perspective of like, man, all I want is what I already have. Like until you realize, Oh, this could be taken away from me. Then you start to go like, I, I love this. I want this. I don't want anything else. <laughs> I, what I want is what I have. And, and that actually made me a much happier person in like as a designer, as a person, it was just that kind of stuff was great for me. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. How did uh, how did the 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 rebirth of of XCOM come about? I mean, you you know, you, it was after Civrev came out. It was after Civrev. It Sibrev. went over well, right? Everybody was was happy with it. I I played it because I was working at Two K at the time, and like yeah. we got actually uh, yeah we got to uh, play an advance build of it and like, yeah. send a little feedback and stuff. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. It worked really well for console because that was kind of the target, yeah. right? And, right? And did it also end up going on mobile and stuff, I think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You mean CivRev? CivRev. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, CivRev went on... Um, it, yeah, CivRev was on DS. Oh, right, yeah. And it was also... And then it was part of iPhone and iPad, right. so... Yeah, because that... Because that was oh, really... It's a, it's a great... That is a great mobile game. It's like three hours long. It's like Civ, but it's like three hours long. So, right. yeah. I was having it on my tablet, and I just, you know, waste time. Playing yeah. It. it seemed like it, it achieved its goal, which seemed to be, to me, take the, the Civ experience and then make it accessible to an audience that yep. isn't playing on their PC yep. with a keyboard, like, you know, nine inches away from the screen. Yeah, right. right. Um, so, so, yeah, you came off of that, and, and, and you got another shot. So, like... You know what were the what were the early days of of, of tackling that again? Well, yeah, it was it was funny. They they after CivRev and Sid and I worked well together, so they said, yeah, you know, again, it was sort of like, whoa, what should we do next? And I was like, XCOM. Um, <laughs> and uh, everybody had forgotten the disaster, I suppose. And okay. so <laughs> and so they said, oh, okay, and 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 uh, you know, Two K was interested in the idea, and I said, yeah, this I think XCOM is this great. This was when. So it was like 2008. So that was when like consoles, everybody kind of thought that was like the be all end all of gaming, which, yeah, you know, right. and again, consoles are great, but 
you know, it is hard to keep a good PC down, you know. Yeah. And so, but well, at that and point, we've seen in the intervening years how yeah. much Steam has become this juggernaut, right? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, but at that time, it was like, oh, you know, uh, consoles are where it's at. And so, for strategy, it was a little. I remember it being a little bit of a scary time where it was like, well, you know, strategy. That's like a PC thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, Steam really took off in the late and after that. But it yeah. was sort of like, oh no, 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 no. Strategy works great on consoles too. And yeah. and I remember that being. It wasn't ever my as a designer. I wasn't thinking that, but that was kind of like the angle. It was sort of like, oh no, this would be great on consoles. We could have consoles and PC. Yeah. Um, well, because XCOM feels like a, a fair shift from from what I. Th- think of as Fraxis turn-based strategy. You know, yeah. because something that's cool about Fraxis for sure is that, you know, it's definitely not just Civ, you know, we right. golf and pirates uh, and mm-hmm. <laughs> all sorts of stuff, but also um, it does feel like, you know, a a turn-based tactical squad-based, you know, shooter where you're, where you're moving this very small yeah. number of units around elevation and stuff. That's also um, a different kind of departure. Well, thematically, it's a really big departure. Definitely, yeah. um, it's funny because I—it's uh, the first. It is the first uh, mature-rated game I've ever made. Right? It's also the first game not have Sid's name on it. And of course, Sid—that was early on. You know, Sid was like, you know, he's like, I didn't design this. Is designed by Julian Gallup. He was like, I did not design <laughs> this. You can't put my name on this. And yeah, and and it doesn't. He wouldn't be comfortable with that anyway. Frankly, him right. on a mature-rated game, huh. Sid's um. He would he would not be comfortable with that, and which isn't to say that he wasn't happy for me to do that. But do you guys did do you guys have swears in the game? I don't remember. Uh, no, I there didn't want lines, them to right? swear. Yeah. Um, and that was so. yeah, and that was sort of a personal thing. Where I, you know, it's funny because I well, the thing is, in a game like that, you're gonna hear every line a lot of times, right? <laughs> yeah. And so you put in one f bomb, right. it's gonna detonate, right? <laughs> very very frequently. But even in our, um, I remember the. The, the writer was so irritated with me because they, we'd have these short cinematic scenes or whatever and there aren't many of them in the next film but he'd put in these bad words he'd send me the script and I'd say take out the bad words and he's like you are killing me he's like <laughs> you're making an M-rated game he's like can I not put in a shit he's like you talk like a sailor and I'm like don't put him in the game and it's funny because somebody had, you know somebody had Somebody on the team had brought it up to me like there's so few swears because I'm, you know, I don't actually, I don't have, I obviously don't have anything against um, violent video games, mm-hmm. you know, being the designer of one, but it's not my favorite thing. One of the things I loved working on for Axis Titles 4 is because I could say, I was happy to say that Civ and Pirates and Sim Golf had no violence in them. I actually. Or it was very abstract. It, it mean, was very abstract. There were sword fights. There were sword pirates, fights, but, but the pirates like never a, died. They, you know, they fell over the side of the boat. Yeah, you know, it was Errol Flynn. Kind of very Errol Flynn, yeah. right? And so, I actually enjoyed that about uh, the stuff we worked on. And so, uh, and the cursing and stuff like that, which again, I have no problem with that. And that's the kind of I enjoy a more mature uh, games myself. Yeah. But when it was, oh, you're the one responsible for this now, I started finding myself pretty uncomfortable with it. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I don't know that I do want to do this. And and so, yeah, I had to be really sure that things made sense. I really wanted things to be there. I didn't want anything gratuitous. I wanted it all to serve a purpose. And 
that stuff doesn't bother me another in the stuff that I consume, but it certainly bothered me once I was like, oh, okay, now I'm the creative guy behind this. Like, yeah. it started to really bug me, and so... Well, it's, and it seems like something where when you have restraint in that situation, where you're like, well, it's not absolutely necessary, so why do it? Why are right? we doing it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's... It, I, 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 I think that probably tonally that you know the game's better for it, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I guess I can see. The thing that's interesting to me, actually, just thinking about it off the top of my head, when you were talking about working with a writer and he was like writing the cinematic scenes, I would actually think that it would be more appropriate to say in the cinematic scenes, which are all in the base and they're between like scientists and the commander and, and everything that there wouldn't be swearing and then out in the field right. it's like the yeah. fucking aliens over here would make total sense well yeah because I mean to me yeah thematically realistic soldiers talk <laughs> ridiculous you know right. we, had this, we had this group of consultants come in one time this is one of those funny things where you just I don't know how much we got out of it but these guys were actual surfing hunters so yeah and it was funny because they came they were soldiers all yeah. special forces guys snipers and they bring in all these actual legitimate guns that have been spiked you know but they were still like they, they brought in these like, modern rifles yeah. and, and we were like so how would you hunt aliens you know and uh <laughs> And and it was, but yeah, you know, and they talked about dialogue and stuff, and they're like, "Oh man, it was just like, just kind of stuff." You're like, "Yeah, we're not putting that in." There. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting that I remember was pretty interesting was yeah. that I thought, well, that the the violence is the violence is there and it makes sense and it, that serves a purpose. Uh, the swearing was like, well, the swearing is the sort of thing like I think that. It really kind of like leaves a bad, it, for me, it left a bad taste in my mouth. And yeah. I think it was brought to my attention by our cinematic artist who was like, you know, you use so few of these. He's like, I'm not comfortable showing this to, you know, uh, a teenager even, you know, like a 13, 14 year old. Cause there's like, there's every occasion there would be like an F bomb in the soldier's piece. And he was like, so we do this. And it's like, now this is not appropriate for an entire age group. And He's like, we kind of have like movie level PG thirteen violence. He's like, but we have this swearing, which is way out of whack. And I sure. realized that, and I said, yeah, you're right. That's that doesn't make me very comfortable. So yeah, so we cut it all out. So you know what? What did it start out as? Like, I'm guessing you know you're a huge ex- original XCOM yeah. fan. Um, the that the game. I mean. You shipped stuff that was very uh, faithful, you know, it's sectoids yeah, and, sure. and cyber discs and everything else. But um, what did it? What 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 was the first form that when the game went in production? You know, it, it took like was it was it was it very much like just straight up like old school XCOM? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. Uh, we made a um, the first thing we did was we made this tone video or this or this sort of cinematic video where um, I was still on CivRev and the artists were freed up because that's how it works, right? It's like yeah. the, uh, programming and you stay until, you know, post-release basically, but art has to be locked down and they move off. So the artists that were going to XCOM had moved off. They needed, you know, they needed something to do before programming and I could join them. So they made a video of what we thought XCOM was going to be and it was, and this is something we've, you know, it's, it's out there, it's floating around there somewhere. Um, but it was a vi- the video that we sold to, how we sold to K on this, we took this video out there, and it was 
time units and uh, a, a lot of soldiers. And so it was very faithful. There was like multiple days, like inventory system and time units. And it was as you moved, it would count down time units and to fire. You chose like, again, like the original game, you, you know, you would choose like snapshot or auto shot or aim shot. And so yeah. it was completely faithful to the original. And so that was the... That was what we sold to Kaon, and that was the version that we made. And um, we kind of started full force with a big team right away, really big team. Yeah. And uh, and it was there was no time, there was no time for me as a designer to say like, oh, I think we should do this. And this was also the first game that I'd ever really designed. So yeah. there's a lot you don't like from know the ground, like from yeah, square, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, there was a lot you just didn't know, and this wasn't. So we kind of treated it like it would be a sequel to the original, huh. and so you know we said like, well, let's just use that, and and that was easier because people needed stuff to do. There were a lot of artists; they needed stuff to make, and I was like, well, okay, uh, here are the aliens, and and the game's gonna work like this, and it's very faithful to the original, and we did that for um, a year basically, yeah. and I remember it. It it was April April twenty third, um, two thousand nine. Okay. Was our uh, vertical slice, and we we actually had a working version of the game, and it was this level, a farmhouse, and a UFO, and it was it was some random elements to the level, and it was all time unit based, and it was like eight soldiers, and they had inventory, and they it was very there's no cover, it was very much like the original game. Yeah. And that took us like a year to make. And I remember Vertical Slice, and we all went out, big party afterwards. We presented to the company, went out, big party afterwards, and you know, oh, it was, it was like we shipped the game. And uh, <laughs> and uh, there was one small problem, which was that it wasn't any fun, and nobody liked it. And so, um, and that was again, that was probably my that was that was a tough moment because it came back, and it was pretty clear that this was not. I had added all this stuff, all these new weapons and abilities on top of a game that was already fairly complicated. Yeah. And for people playing it with no prior experience with XCOM, it was it was completely unintelligible. And they were like, I don't know what is going on here. And I was like, oh boy, I've made some pretty big mistakes here. And I just remember it being this real sort of moment where everybody's like, what are we doing? And and I, I remember saying, like, we are going back to the drawing board. And so I went back and I said, we called it Combat 2.0. And this, <laughs> this, is a, this is a phrase that, you know, there's certain phrases in development where, like, they just stick and then they become, yeah. like, a really irritating term for the team. <laughs> like, vertical slice is one of them. Sure. We're working on a vertical slice. Everybody prepare for your vertical slice. We're having vertical slice meetings every morning. And then everybody hates the word vertical slice right. by the end of that. And Combat 2.0 became one of those things where it was like, okay, Jake's going to go back and work on Combat 2.0. He's going to take four weeks to work on Combat 2.0. And that word just became this, like, it just had so much meaning, and it just... Right. Well, because, like, what, at the end of the day, what does it mean? Like, everybody could come up with different connotations for right. what what it's supposed to represent. Right. right? Yeah. And so I, I basically said, this is not working, and I wasn't worried about it being, you know, palatable to a modern audience. I just knew that what I had done was not appealing to people. And so I said, okay, throw everything out, throw the old game out. Which you know, I, I was too much of a too much of a fanboy, and I said, if I am going to make a game, a modern game about 
a turn-based game. It had to be turn-based. Yeah. A turn-based game about soldiers fighting a squad of aliens. Like, how would I do it? And I said, okay, I'm, I, in four weeks I have to make a prototype of like combat that makes more sense. And yeah. so I did it, did it really quickly, and it was... It had its own weird quirks where, like, every soldier had two numbers. They had an offensive number and a defensive mm. number, and it was kind of like hero clicking, I guess. But it was, you know, like, then if you got cut, co- if you took cover, your defensive number went up, and if you had elevation, your offensive number went up, and your chance to hit was offensive versus defensive. And it was, now it started to make sense to move around the battlefield and to take cover, and that was definitely, that was the genesis of what XCOM became. Yeah. But um, that I mean, all that, came out of the fact that we'd done a prototype that just wasn't great, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean that seems like that seems like one of the the. Oh, I mean there are a lot of big changes, but it seems like that's one of the big changes that did like because it essentially became in a lot of ways a, a turn-based cover shooter. You yeah, know, like mm-hmm. um, it also inherited a lot of the dynamics that cover shooters just naturally develop like, you know, battle lines, you know, right. where it's like, okay, well, we're going to be behind cover over here and the enemies are going to be behind cover over there. And right. there's sort of these two forces facing each other. And if you can flank that, that's great and everything. But that's like, that's a very different dynamic than, um, than, than original XCOM, which I think of as being like omnidirectional, you know, you have yeah. no idea which direction the threat's going to be coming from. You have to react. And yeah, it's not about like you're saying there is no, cover system. It's right. about other considerations. Um, and, you know, not to, like, I'm, I don't, my, my intent here is, is, is not to be like, uh, needlessly critical, but I feel like oh, it no, did I make, yeah. the thing that makes me feel like is when I would play the games, I could feel that the shape of a new, you know, the Fraxis XCOM level felt more linear. You oh, know? yeah. Um, yeah, without that. Was that something where, and I wondered about that, where I'm like, how much of this was something to, like, an intentional uh, uh, strategy to try to help players, help help guide them, you know, towards a, a goal by, by reducing the number of spatial options they have versus how much of it just arose from the mechanics that, that you put in for, for combat? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is... They basically... That, that sort of idea of... It, it all came out of this idea of of that first combat 2.0 prototype that I did, and so you're right. Like you basically you get a lot of great stuff with that, and then you get some natural overhead with that. And the the great thing you get out of cover is that all of a sudden the player, even if they don't know, if they can't form a long term or mid term strategy, they always have a short term strategy, which is get to cover. And yeah. there's two levels of cover, so now it's like, oh, good. Let's get the high cover if we can. And there's flanking. So there's all of a sudden, as a player, you're like, oh, I have this short 10-second loop. Every time I go to a new soldier, I have a you know, meaningful choice, which is if I want to advance, and I trade that off against shooting, at least there's like, it seems like it's this open space, but it's not really. It's actually been boiled down to discrete spaces of like, well, here's where the cover is. So like now, I've sort of reduced the player's choices down to a couple of meaningful ones. Right. And so the player's like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, good. Now I can sort of say, like, all right, I want to move to cover. This sort of reduces, like, where should, where should I go? What should I do? Like, yeah. You play the original XCOM, you have to figure it out based on what the systems of the game are, what should I do. It's sort of like, well, you kind of need to understand the game. Yeah, and there's a huge, 
I mean, a defining feature of original XCOM is a huge learning curve, and it's incredibly right. difficult to be successful when you're still learning the game. Right. 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 And that's obviously, I mean, in the case of, of the context in which you were making this game, that's not the onus you wanted to put on every player. Right, right. right. And yeah. so so now people were able to, if they didn't even know anything about XCOM, they were able to play for minutes at a time because they were like, oh, cover's good, I need to move to cover. Right. And so then they found that kind of interesting. And, oh, the aliens are taking cover. Oh, they're trying to get around me. So that was great. Um, but what it created was, the, it's interesting because I think the problem is that it was not, it didn't surprise you enough. Because what you got were, you, you did have this sort of linear progression through a level. And so these levels, because they were handmade, they, there was this sort of beginning and end. And that came out of pacing, because we had some pacing problems. And so this, I think it came out of, it's, you know, on my part, maybe a little bit of, you know, design cowardice or, you know, but what you do is you say, like, look, like, this is not fun right now, like... We need to turn the knob and make this thing fun. The way we can make this thing fun is we place these aliens, which isn't to say that they don't move around dynamically. They yeah. do, but some of them don't. Some of them are actually specifically placed to be to make sure that the player's pacing is always at a decent level where it's like, okay, you get through this fight, like you're not going to be wandering for like 10 turns and not have a fight right, right, yeah. right? And so there are ways to so- there are better ways to solve that, but at that point, it was the sort of thing where you know, it was just like a typical game development where you're like, you know what, I know one way we can solve this, <laughs> and these other million problems we have, like, we can turn our attention to them, and so we sort of relied on something where it's like, okay, well, let's hand place some of these aliens, which gives you this more directed feel. The right. player's always sort of like, combat actually pulls the player, so, you know, if, if you have just aliens wandering around, the player will get pulled by aliens, so they'll see an alien or a group of aliens, they will go that direction. Yeah. And then the problem is that they may end up in some random place where, because XCOM missions don't have objectives, which again is not, again, I think is, this, this all. What do you mean by that? Because some, like, you, like the bomb defusal missions. We, we did have some of those, but a lot of, most of the objectives, you know, 89% kill the aliens, right? And so that actually is the problem, is that if you had a more directed gameplay where it was like, oh, get to the building or defuse the bomb, well, then your aliens can be anywhere. Like, who right. cares, right? Because as a player, you're not going to be drawn by aliens. You're because your objective is not killing them. You're going to be drawn by, oh, I need to defuse the bomb. So you'll fight, and then you're like, okay, I'm directed towards defusing the bomb. In a yeah. com, if it's just kill aliens, you'll be like, oh, I better go to this corner. And now you're in the corner of the map, and you're like, what am I doing over here? <laughs> and so that we... seems like, I mean, I know you said that, that you weren't responsible for it, but that seems like uh, part of what the strategy was with adding... Um, meld in the expansion is like there are these sub-objectives that are placed in specific locations in like every map in, you know yeah. it's like oh I don't just want to go to blow up where the aliens are I want to go touch this thing right. which might not be coincident with aliens right and, yeah, sure, and it's sure. timed which you know puts a little time pressure on the yeah. player and makes them risk reward like moving as opposed to just turtling up and sort of saying like okay we're just going to overwatch and kill aliens yeah. Um, so yeah and so th- that was it was sort of a, a pacing thing and we had to like players needed direction of like what where should I go what should I do I mean we also have the um, you know after a couple turns if you haven't seen aliens like your your soldiers may hear an alien out right. in the dark yeah and again that's all meant to sort of direct the player towards it's fine to be 
but you know, it's funny that I think that as as a community, like development wise, we've learned that like you don't need to hold players' hands. And yeah, I, I learned it more as a designer once we released the game that like people didn't appreciate that so much. You well, know? I, I mean, I think that I think the whole like hearing an alien was really useful because I think yeah. one of the things, you know, one of the the pacing failure cases in like original XCOM and a lot mm-hmm. of games that are like clear out everything is like. Right. Well, there's one more somewhere, right. somewhere. and so having a little pointer that's like it's kind of over there. Right. So you know, right. I think it, I think it's a really good thing. That's what we we're trying to avoid with that. Yeah, um, and and I mean that that's obviously having the overall shape of the level be more of you know a a, a corridor that leads spatially from right. where you start to to where you're going to have to end up. It it all helps you. Um, I guess, like you were saying, always be doing something right. useful. You know, always be doing something that's getting you closer to your goal, as opposed to like, I guess we'll just have my guys wander around until an alien shoots at me, then I'll kill it. You know? Right, and the you know the the original game did have some direction in the sense that typically your missions were shot down UFOs. Like they had more right. UFO crashes than than um, enemy unknown had, and so. You would be directed in a sort of soft way, which is better, frankly. But um, you know, you would, as a player in the original, the the original UFO defense, right? Yeah. Um, you would wander, and then you'd find a UFO, and it's just natural as a player to be like, "Oh, UFO, let's go there." And so yeah. that would end up being direction for you. But then, of course, it did have the case of like there, you know, a lone sectoid in the barn somewhere, and you're just like, "Oh my god." <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that was it. Was a lot of stuff to to solve pacing stuff and. You know, it's it's one of those things that after we released, then you get this sort of idea. And, and games have changed now where you realize that a lot of people don't, they don't want their hands held. And players yeah. are kind of responding in an interesting way of, you know, like, oh, yeah, no, we want, we kind of want to explore and have things be a little more organic. And to me as a designer, that's great, you know. Yeah. Can I, can I go, like, can I ask why, like, why do you think XCOM... Original XCOM is your your favorite game. Why were you so obsessed with it? Why did you feel like you had to? It was the game you you wanted to, to make you to make again to yourself. <laughs> well, oddly enough, it's it, it is because of its like the original XCOM because it is undirected. I yeah. think that's what makes me love it so much. Which is funny that I made XCOM that I made a, a more directed version of it, but. What I loved about the original was the fact that it was undirected. And games like that, to me, feel like, you know, if they're consistent, if they have consistent rule set, but they're not really directed, those are games that feel like alternate realities. And those are by far the most powerful for me. Like, I get lost in games like uh, Minecraft. Yeah. And the original XCOM, games that have this rule set, they stay consistent, and they don't... And obviously... Um, XCOM and Unknown did this a lot too. Like, it's important that as a player, I don't feel like the game cares about me, right? Yeah. I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm just an actor in this world. I'm not like the main, you know, I'm not the driver of the experience. It's important that the game's like, oh, I don't care. Like, yeah. oh, is that your favorite soldier? Like, I didn't know that. I'll kill, I'll kill them. Like, and, and oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea. Right. And it's, it's important that that happens because it makes the experience authentic. You know, yeah. I think I, I really hunger for uh, authenticity in games. Yeah. And so the original felt authentic because it was like one, 
procedural content helps that because you're like, oh, this, I'm the first person to see this or experience this. And I feel like I own this experience. And then two, I, because it's, you know, it's not directed and the game doesn't care about me. It's just a collection of systems. Then I feel like, wow, this is like this mini world running. And I feel like, I, I just feel like this is so, so authentic because, you know, I, I don't run into the, the invisible walls, basically. Right. And I think that's probably what makes me love the original game so much. It's why I love Minecraft so much. It's because you don't run into the invisible walls very much. And for me, I, I guess I hunger for that as a player. And so yeah. that's probably what made me so. Well, it's interesting because I just, I did a talk today at PC uh, about Gone Home and like Gone Home and XCOM could hardly have anything less in common aside from running in a 3D engine. <laughs> um, but, you know, my talk was about how the most important part of the interactive experience, the design of Gone Home, was that you're in a world that's governed by consistent rules and that does not tell you what to do. Right. It's like, we set you loose, we imply, maybe you want to find out what happened here, and... If you see a cabinet, you can open it. And if you see a light, you can turn it on and off. Right. And it's just, you can always know, I'm in this self-contained thing right. that I can trust will work the way I expect it to work. And I can just exist here and guide myself through this experience. It's, you're absolutely right. Like, that's the thing is you don't have to, it's not about being able to, uh, necessarily pull every book off a shelf and you know like that's not valuable and in fact it's frustrating as a player but you do want to be able to see what the box is and then make sure that that box is consistent and so it's true like you walk around the house and gone home yeah you flip on the lights the game is like it sort of acknowledges that you're there you know you can pick things up you can look at them you start to learn okay well this is the rule set so now I know what I can do and it doesn't disappoint me in, in, in any sort of way where you're like, well, wait a minute, I thought like we had agreed upon, me and the game had agreed upon something, <laughs> right? and now you're saying, oh, no, that's not the rule. And so, yeah, I think that you're right, like a consistent like a consistent rule set or system or whatever you want to call it, like that's what make, makes experiences, that's what makes games games, that's what makes them, I think, more powerful as, as a medium, is that you get to sort of be inside the system and experience the rule set. And yeah, that, that to me is what I guess defines what a game is, is that the ability to sort of have this, this interaction with the system. Yeah. So, so yeah, (laughs) he's gone home a game. What was the name of the talk? Uh, why is gone home a game? (laughs) Uh, Oh man. Are you so irritated about talking about that? But it's, I mean, that's, to me is always, I find that to be a, I'm not much of an academic, so to me, the question is always very irritating, like, what's a game and what makes a game? To me, I'm sort of like, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> if, it, if you can interact with it and be entertained with it, it's a game. Like, yeah. why, why are we, you know? It's a, it was an interesting excuse to talk about more design you design stuff. Yeah. You know, go from, like, you know, what we were discussing here, just the properties of what makes something, like, this game, like, you know, you you play within its rules. Like, what, right. how do you get value out of that? And then specifically our whole thing where we were drawing from immersive sims and, you know, looking glass games and how we applied that and and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it was the kind of thing where I had not, I had not really addressed it in any way up to this point. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do it, 
I'll do it at GDC. That's I'll right. get all GDC about it. Right. Uh, and and it, it was it was fun. But it's 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 actually a good point. I mean, you do get very ingro- because once you understand the rules, then that's what allows you to sort of forget the rule set you're in, which is reality, and then move into this alternate rule set. Um, I mean, going home is interesting because you have all the narrative stuff too. I mean. Like, the narrative stuff is also helpful to sort of allow you to sort of immerse yourself in this new environment, right? And it yeah. feels... Gone Home feels very... It's audio, it's narrative, and things like that, too. But, like, you're wandering around the house, too, and that feels very immersive. And, and you know, what I, you know, a lot of what I was talking about was how the, the rules of how the world works and what yeah. you can do with it and how that's communicated is, I think, as important as the audiovisual stuff to, to maintaining that interactive uh, suspension of disbelief, yeah. you know, where you're like, okay, I, 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 I am becoming immersed. You're entering the first couple spaces and you're learning what the, the rules right. are and the game's not telling you, but you're right. testing and finding, okay, so I can pick up a book that's sitting on the shelf, but I can't touch the, all those books that are right. in the shelf. And, and then, like you were saying earlier, once you've established that contract with the player, right. as a designer, your job is just to maintain it and be like, oh, you don't have to think about this anymore. You figured out the rule. It's going to be like that. Think about the experience you're having, the content you're finding, the person right. you are. You the know? mind is good at adapting to, once it understands the rule set, it's like, oh, I'll give up reality for the new rule set. Like, yeah. I'll give up the reality's rule set for this new rule set. So as quickly as the player can understand the rule set, then... That that is immersiveness. Is in the mind's like, okay, I'm in this new rule set, and I can actually. And it, it becomes. It's funny how those things become second nature. Your mind just says like, oh, these are the new rules. Yeah. And then that is key to being immersed in something. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah. So so you you guys got over the hump of XCOM yeah. past the past the very yep. kind of like slavish recreation stage yep. and into the the modernization of it. Um. What like how long was the how long was the game full on in production like three or four years? Oh no, almost five years. Wow, almost five years. If yeah, almost almost five years. The game was in development, very long time. Which you know that that's the sort of thing I tell people like um, if the game was you know if I'd had four years, uh, I'd probably be sitting here talking to you. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. There is no substitute for time. I don't, I, I don't, you know, oh, what? Your best skills as a designer. It's like, oh, I had a lot of time. Like, I was able to, like, mess up, you know, 40 times. And some people don't have the opportunity to mess up that much. I, I think that yeah. it's important to remember that if you have a lot of time and you're dedicated to, you just have to be honest about, like, oh, this is, this isn't good. Let's redo it. Let's redo it. Let's redo it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, when I see Kickstarter and things like that, I'm always very sympathetic to, the experience of, well, you know, there's a certain amount of money, which means a certain amount of time, right. you know? And I think that if the time's not long enough, that's really hard. It would be hard for me as a designer to not say, like, to it would be weird for me to not be able to say, like, well, that's not good. we got to redo that, right? right? And that's the only way XCOM, I think, was successful, is that our, our ability to say, oh, that's not good. we gotta we got to redo that. And... Obviously, our publishers should get most of the credit for that, but um, right. but I mean, I think that that's time was a major, major factor in allowing us to get to where we were with it. I mean, we you know, 
we had three months less, I think. We would be nearly as good of a game. So. Well, with the kind of design that XCOM is, it's got to be so much about iteration. Mm-hmm. Like, once the initial implementation is, there's got to be so much balancing, not just of, like, combat variables, but how the world randomization works, you know, right. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the systems... cases. There's got to be a lot of making sure that, okay, in this one... Bad role, the player right. just has a shitty experience, right. you know. And it's, yeah, it's, you, you make all these systems, but it's, it's nothing, you know, once systems, you know, once systems interact, that's where the magic is. Right. And then a game like XCOM, and, and Civ is like this too, there are so many systems, so many systems, and when they interact, it is very, very unpredictable as a designer. You're like, oh, woof. Boy, that doesn't work well together. And you can design these things in abstract, but you really can't predict, you know, you can get better at it, but you really can't predict how these things are actually going to work once they're actually all working. And you've got an economy and you've got this and you've got all these different systems that you have to balance against each other. And because you guys have like all that hierarchy from the global state of, of which countries are supporting XCOM to like, the tech research to the right, straight up encounters. You you're know? building your base. You're outfitting your soldiers. Your right. soldiers have their own progression tree, and you even have ships. You have planes, and you're, they have their own upgrade path, and that's yeah. related to the AI coming in, and then that determines what aliens show up. And so, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of iteration, and then you'd be like, well, you know, and, and all that is is good, and then you're like, oh boy, the, these. This this element of the game is not fun. We need to work on that. This element of the game is not fun. We need to work on that. And yeah. so it just, I mean, you never finish games. You know, you you abandon them. Yes, you just stop working on them. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's all it is. And but you really need. But at, at some point, it's funny because um, Steve Martin, he's the president of Fraxis, and mm. he's always like, "You don't finish games, you abandon them." And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, but." You gotta abandon them at the right time. Yeah. You can't just abandon them early. <laughs> I know that you abandon them. He's always a little skeptical when I'm, you know, I'll say like, oh no, we need, we need to work on this. We need more time. And he'll be like, oh my goodness. Like, every, every designer has always said that at every game they've ever worked on. I'm like, I know, but this time I'm serious. So, <laughs> um, so I think there's the first time that I was, that, that I, uh, I became aware of you. As an individual, mm-hmm. is you did all you, you guys, uh, and I, you guys. And I assume that the 2K marketing team came up with an awesome idea for a promo video, which is where you went to the GameStop. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> and you and you posed as, I believe, a GameStop employee, yeah. right? Yeah. And it was just hidden camera video of people coming in and saying, "Hey, what game should I get?" Yeah. And yes. you're pitching them on XCOM. Yeah, it, that was actually that actually was from our uh, lead producer Garth, our oh, lead no. producer. He actually came up with the idea because he saw there was like this uh, some NFL company had this ad Danny Woodhead who's this like not as famous Patriots player and mm-hmm. he, he was like trying to sell his jersey to people who came <laughs> into the store. <laughs> so Garth was like this would be great. He's like, you should try to sell XCOM to people that come to the store. And, and 2K uh, PR, they were like, that sounds great. Do it. They're like, and I was like, eh, I think this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> but yeah, that I was, I was, I was absolutely unsure of how that was going to go. Was it a fun day? It was. Was it a long day? Was it multiple days? No, it was. It was maybe three hours, okay. and I 
You got some good footage in three hours. Yeah, I, I, we went there, and um, it was... It was the sort of thing where, you know, I went in there and I was like, okay, my job is basically to like, these people have never, this was like a mainstream, you know, game shop and these people have never heard of XCOM. So, you know, I went in there and it was, it was the first couple of times it was painful. I I was, it was very hard because I really had to like walk up to them and cold sell them. And look, I, I did a job. In high school, I was one of those guys who took your pictures in an amusement park. <laughs> I hated that, but it's the sort of thing where eventually you get over like the cold call aspect, and you're just like, whatever, I got a job to do. <laughs> I got to sell you an XCOM. I got to get some footage here. So I would just walk up to people and be like, eh, you know, after a while, you just stop caring. You're like, I'm a jackass, and like, I know I'm a jackass, and I'm over that part now. So I just walk up to people and just started just jawing at them, and yeah, there was all kinds of stuff that, yeah. The, my my favorite line that I that I remember was you you're talking to a guy and you're like you like aliens and he's just like no and you're like yeah that's right you like killing aliens <laughs> and there was a lot you have to be pretty on your toes because a lot of people are like no I don't like that and you're like okay just work with me dude like but it was great because the it was totally hidden camera and so these these people really had no idea like. I they actually just thought you were working. They thought I was just, accosting them. They yeah. really thought like this is the like I would have been so irritated at somebody coming up to me being like, "Look, man, this is the game you got to get." And people are just like, "What? I've never even heard of this. What, <laughs> who are you? I'm just trying to buy a game for my husband, or I'm trying to buy a game for my girlfriend, and and I'm there just annoying them." So, <laughs> I, but sometimes that works out. I know that uh, I know that the origin story of uh, so you know I worked at Irrational for yeah. a year. Um, Bill Gardner was the lead designer there at, at, at some points, uh, and uh, he had been there since he was a, a, a tester on System Shock 2 and had yeah. gone forward from there. And the way he started working at Irrational was Ken Levine uh, in, you know, 2000. What, you know, uh, he must have, no, he came on after Shock 2 just because of the years, yeah. but whatever. 2000, 2001, uh, Levine went into his local video game store and was just looking to buy something, and he overhears one of the clerks trying to hard sell somebody on Deus Ex and be like, Deus Ex is like the best game. Like, you got to play this thing. You can play all sorts of different ways. And Ken starts talking to him and it's Bill. Really? Working at the, at the game store. And he's like, do you want to come work at my company? You say, no way. <laughs> and really? Was, and so, yeah, that was how he, he got into QA. I guess QA was probably, he was probably like on, on like Tribes Vengeance or, or, yeah, or yeah. Freedom Force or whatever, you know, they Swatter, did. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and yeah, worked his way up. So sometimes, sometimes being the guy that's really excited about this one good game can lead to. <laughs> you never, you honestly never know. I did not, I will tell you, I did not sell a single pre-order of uh, the game that day, but yeah, <laughs> you never know how those opportunities are going to, you know, I was, that was pretty funny. I remember I finished it and I had no idea. I was like, man, I, I, I had a good towards the end I had a pretty good time you, you, once you get over it then I started loosening up and I was like whatever I'm just going to try to make these people laugh with me have a good time you know <laughs> but um, that one yeah that one it actually ended up being pretty fun I don't yeah. but if somebody said like hey we have to do that again I'd be like oh god no <laughs> I can't do well, it so how did the how did the actual launch go I mean it, like the game's been really successful right yep. um, mm-hmm. yep. was it was it a 
my my perception is it probably was kind of a slow burn. Am I wrong? Did it did it really make a big splash, or did it, it kind did, of build over know, time? It did. I mean, it okay. actually it actually right. did really well right out the gate, and then it was funny because we came out the same the exact same day as Dishonored. I remember that. Yeah, I had to choose which one I was going to buy. Yeah, and it, I'm not going to ask you. And then it. Um, oh, I'll, I'll tell you. I brought my own lanyard uh, for GDC. It was my Dishonored lanyard. That I got <laughs> well, King guy. say I, no, no more. <laughs> Traitor. Um, yeah. No, uh, I, uh, yeah, it was funny because I remember we came out the same day and then like the next week nothing came out. I'm like, what? what I was like, I wonder if Harvey's over there going like, why the hell did we vote? But, um, no, it, it did really well off the bat. And then we have this, um, uh, our, our games, especially on PC. Yeah. Our games have their evergreen or long tail, whatever you yeah. want to say. Like they always have this sort of long tail where they just, Sell at this really steady rate, you know, and, and that's that's. Well, I feel like I feel like that's something that's so valuable about making a game like this mm-hmm. is that I feel like there are these certain games where it's like, all right, if you've got a Steam library, this has got to be in it. Like, yeah, why you don't have XYZ, you don't have XCOM, you don't right. have, you know, like you never played Bioshock, what do you, right. you know? And it's like that's that's great to be one of those games. There's like whenever somebody is getting into PC gaming right. and their friend who's been into it is telling them what they got to play, like, okay, you should probably pick up XCOM because it's, like, a thing that... Well, that's... Know. And that's why Steam is a juggernaut. Yeah. You, like, Steam sales, like, you know, they're, oh, yeah, they're, they're massive, discounts. right? Where you, sure. where you... The, the games come up, people are like, oh, I've heard about... And I, I do it, too, where it's like, you know, you're like, oh, I've heard about that game. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, my God, $15 or $10, whatever. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, i got to buy that. I've so many games that I've not played in my <laughs> Steam library, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it was awesome. It was, um, it was weird. I mean, it was a very hard, like the very last, the last year of X was very difficult yeah. crunch wise. And, and mm. just, it was all those games that came together late and it was really hard. Um, but then, yeah, it was, the loss was successful. And then it, it's strange to be in the place where, Oh, now that's, you know, that's sort of, to transitioning from that being, oh, that's something that you've done, and then yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's such. It was such a big a five year development cycle, basically, and yeah. it just becomes such a big part of your life. And yeah, then, well, that's a lot of that's a lot of your life. Yeah. You know, like I don't know how many how many of those do you get? Not many, <laughs> you know. I hope not many. I, you know, I, it, it's funny. I was thinking the other day how like I I have so many game ideas as, as all designers yeah. do. And I realized that, and, and I think that the model is going to change a little bit. I mean, I think that it's not triple. Uh, it's a very games are so interesting right now. The, mm-hmm. the whole games industry is so interesting right now. Like you, see, like we are this. We're always transforming, and I don't, you know, big time triple A. I don't, you know, like the massive triple A. I don't think that's going to change necessarily. But there's so many more ways to make games. But you know. All in all, it's always going to take a certain amount of time. And I sort of realized, yeah. like, I'm third. I just turned 37. Mm. And I have all these ideas. And I'm like, oh, man, I better start prioritizing. <laughs> I better start making a list here because I'm not making all of these things. Yeah. Like, you really are going to, you really kind of, you, you kind of look at it and you kind of go, like, I'm, I'm lucky to, first of all, even be in the position where I do get to make games that I want to make. And then second of all, you know, you don't have... It's not unlimited time. I, yeah. So, Sid just turned 60 uh, yeah. the other day. And, I'm, and I was like, wow, it's 
I mean, I got to, you know, I, it's neat. Like, he's like, all I want to do is make games. He's like, I, I don't want to do anything else. I don't see myself doing anything else. I heard Peter Molyneux say that the other day, too, where he's like, man, I'm just going to make games till I die. And I and I, that, and I, I love that. Like, I mean, I love that. I, 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 I have so much admiration for, you know, film directors and authors and fine artists that is like, yep, they did this great work when they were 85 years old. That's you know? right. Because it's just like, no, nope, it's what I know how to do. I just, that's, I'm going to do it till I literally can't anymore. Right. And, you know, like, the, the, the people in our industry that have been around the longest, yeah. you know, are, are like Sid. You know, right. Maybe, maybe they're getting near 60 or like right, right in there, you know. Um, it's, it's really inspiring to, to be here when, you know, they're, 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 they're people that are like, yeah, I've been doing this for 30 years and right. I'm not going to stop. And I'm not going to stop. And yeah. yeah, and I think that's true. And it, it's, it's a scary, I mean, I think the industry is, it's always so scary in the industry. It doesn't matter whether you're indie or whether you're triple A or anything. It's like failure is kind of catastrophic either way. You know, yeah. and it's, it's a scary, it's a scary thing. It's so volatile and things change a lot. And, um, but yeah, I always think like, you know, someday I'm, I'm not going to be, you know, this is my time to be a, a creative director, early designer. It's wonderful. I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for it. I'm, I'm incredibly blessed to have the opportunity. I don't expect to be that guy forever. Someday I'm going to be a gameplay programmer in somebody's <laughs> game or something. And that's fine because I love doing that stuff. But it's just nice to know that it is an industry that's, it's like, it's got this life to it. Yeah. You know, it seems to always be able to reinvent itself when it needs to reinvent itself and find new areas of growth. And so it's nice to think like, oh man, I could do that. I could do this until I, you know, until I keel over. Like that's actually a, it's a good sign. I don't know if I'll be where I am now doing what I am now, but it seems like the industry itself is like vital enough to where you, you actually, it's always seemed like such a young person's game, but that's because we were all so young, I guess. You know? <laughs> yeah. Cause the, cause the, what we think of as, as, the industry is is still so young, relatively. It is so young. Speaking, yeah. uh, we are still you know entering new territory every day. It's, yep. it's amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate your time. It's been a great chat. I was thrilled to be on. <laughs> <laughs> and good luck with uh, whatever comes next uh, for Axis for you. All right. Thank you. You too. Cheers, man. <laughs>